Welcome back to the Georgia 2024 show brought to you by the Georgia Record, georgiarecord.com. We have a packed show for you today, a really interesting show. I think you'll enjoy it. So uh, stick with us through the end because we've got multiple different guests. First, I want to talk about an event we're having in Colorado Springs next week. We are tired of the regime coming after the military and our children. So at CD Media, we're doing something about it. We are partnering with Joe Oltman and his team out in Colorado Springs to bring you an event the night of Thursday the 24th, uh, which is really going to outline what the DOD is doing to the U.S. military and what is happening to our children on a really a global level. So this is an event that you're not going to want to miss if you're in Sea Springs. If not, get the live stream and have an event, bring some family, friends over to your house and educate your neighbors who may be on the fence as to what's actually happening. The live stream will be available for for some time, for weeks after this. So uh, support the event and support uh, free media and support the fight against DOD in what they're doing to our armed forces. We all know about the vaccines, the CRT, the ideology, uh, the gender uh, you, know, you know, stuff, but it's much deeper than that. And we're gonna blow the lid off of it. We've got whistleblowers. Uh, we've got a powerful program that you're not gonna wanna miss. So everybody has in Georgia, someone in the military. So please uh, check it out at armedforces.press forward slash event. And you can see everybody who's uh, going to be there, but there's going to be some additional um, people on the panel that are showing up. But uh, I can guarantee you this is one you're not going to want to miss. The event is brought to you by Stony Lonesome Group. If you're a sophisticated investor and you want to participate in dual use technologies, but also technology that is not giving uh, our, our secrets to China, essentially what's called trusted capital, uh, please check out StonyLonesomeGroupLLC.com. Uh, they are tip of the spear as far as a lot of this technology, as far as trusted capital and mission focused investing for the U.S. military. So if you're somebody who has means, a sophisticated investor, uh, give Stony Lonesome LLC a call and talk about their new funds that uh, they're bringing online. And I think you'll be very interested. Today, we have, we're lucky to have uh, someone from Colorado, Ash in America, and I'm going to bring her on in a second, but there's a lot of similarities between Georgia and Colorado. Both are really important for some reason, and both have been really kind of the testing ground for the election fraud, for the medical tyranny, for a lot of stuff that's going on, the World Economic Forum involvement. And I, I want to bring Ash on now and let her tell you about what's happening uh, in Colorado, because you know we just had a big sweep in Georgia, and Ash, you had the same thing there, right? Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Todd. Um, so you and I were talking earlier in the week about the mental health bill happening in, in Georgia, and we're seeing similar things in Colorado, but to the, the, the same day, right? Same Saturday, same same convention, assembly, state, central committee, whatever it's called in Georgia, it's this, the state central committee here in Colorado, uh -huh. swept by America first. Um, and so it's, there are a lot of similarities happening in uh, in Colorado and Georgia. Interesting, I live in Colorado, but I was born and raised in Marietta, Georgia. Oh, wow. So. See, three, <laughs> three degrees of separation right there. <laughs> so um, tell us, you, you were mentioning there's some similar, you know, we we brought Bill Quinn uh, from the Georgia Record on your on on the show in Colorado last week, uh, but you were saying there are some similarities there with some of the gun legislation. Tell us about that. So the the issue of guns and and mental health is not uh, they're not detached, and in fact, from a legislative standpoint, they're moving them closer and closer together. So we talk about mental health um, allowing the the state. To, so one of the bills here in Colorado is a, a bill that. Um, increases, expands red flag laws, right? Uh -huh. So it's expanding the, um, the and I'll, I'll, I'll read just a, a quick clip out of this, out of this bill for you. Um, it, uh, the quote, the bill, this is a Senate bill 23170 extreme risk protection order petitions. Uh, this bill has fully passed the Senate in the mm -hmm. state of Colorado at the time that I wrote this piece just a couple weeks ago. Uh, it was its first hearing in committee. It's flown through all of the all all of the the processes in and out of committee through the um, appropriations all of that and it's heading over to the house now but this says quote this bill expands the list of who can petition for an extreme risk protection order to include licensed medical care providers licensed mental health care providers licensed educators and district attorneys wow so essentially yeah. they they're setting up the same system where people they don't like they can call the mentally ill, put them away and take their weapons, essentially. 
Yes, and that's the one side of it. So then there's mm -hmm. a second. There's 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 another. There's not a second. There's many aspects mm -hmm. to how they're coming. They're they're yeah. they're coming to violate our, our bill of rights and our civil liberties. But the other th there's another side of this. Same day, same committee hearing, same outcome flown through heading to the Senate now, Senate Bill 23169, or sorry, 168, uh, gun violence victims access to judicial system. So this bill is expanding who can sue what they're calling firearm industry members if your loved one dies from a gunshot wound. So if your loved one dies from a gunshot wound, this bill says, quote, current law Current law limits product liability actions against manufacturers of firearms and ammunition to situations in which there was a defect in the design or manufacture of firearm or ammunition. This bill repeals that limitation. So wow. current law, you can sue the firearm manufacturer if there is something defective with the product, right? This mm -hmm. bill repeals that. And it not only repeals why you can sue firearm industry members, but it also defines what a firearm industry member is. And this bill defines it as a firearm industry member is someone that is engaged in the manufacture, distribution, importation, marketing, or wholesale or retail of firearms. Wow. So, so anybody in the yeah. system, if you're working a video if you're if you're doing you know joe uh at conservative daily does the dcf uh -huh. guns right if right. you're in, according to colorado law involved in the production of that commercial you can be sued by somebody whose uh whose uh loved one was killed by a gunshot wound so what's going on in colorado are the people up in arms about this or are they are they ignoring it or what yeah, I mean, unfortunately, in so the legislature for the past two years, right, I've lived through very, being very involved in two legislative sessions since the mm -hmm. election of 2020. I've mm -hmm. paid attention to, covered, um, went, testified, very involved in the state legislature. The problem is that, you know, it's 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 wholly uh, Democrat, which in yeah. Colorado means communist. It's yeah. it's a it's wholly state state centralization of power and control. State centralization of industries even is is beginning to happen here, and um, we call it you know the 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 test kitchen because the all of the communist tactics that they are they're baking here. We had all mail in ballots in 2013. We had Dominion voting machines in 2015. Both of those were brought in by Republicans, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, so called. Yeah. So, well, well, I mean, the the GOP, right? Look at what we just saw with these with in Georgia and, and, and Colorado, America first sweeping the GOP. It took two full cycles. I, I can't speak to Georgia, but two full mm -hmm. cycles in Colorado. There was a good um, in the past, you know, the the 2021 um assembly where they elected their state leadership and elected all of the, um, you know, the precinct people and mm -hmm. the state district leaders and the house district leaders and how they come up with who is the party leadership, who has votes in the party. Um, the America first people took it over in 2021, but the leadership didn't yeah. change, right? There was still, there's still a lot we didn't know. And I'm not a Republican, yeah. but I cover them from a journalist standpoint. Um, yeah. There's a lot that they didn't know about how the process worked, a lot that they didn't know about the the people that were involved that claimed to be America first, that claimed to have the grassroots, you know, kind of mission and goal in mind, mm -hmm. and then, you know, revealed themselves over the past two years. So it took two full cycles um, to, uh, you know, to actually elect into those leadership positions. And here in Colorado, Representative Dave Williams, uh, former state house representative who was very forceful and uh, on the front lines, very small handful of Republicans in Colorado who are willing to fight for the issues that matter to the base, to fight for, okay. you know, true conservative principles and values. He is now the, the chairman of the GOP. So that's very exciting for us. So I had a long talk with a woman in Georgia this morning uh, about the need for education on a lot of the parliamentary processes in these meetings and conventions in the, in the establishment is used to being knows the tricks to, to ram through stuff. And before you know it, there's a motion that's seconded and it's done and you have no recourse. So I think that's really important, but how, how are people getting engaged in Colorado now besides just, because you've also got the establishment coming back and really kind of trying to rebrand themselves and say, yeah, we're America first too. Please, please put us in the, in back in leadership. And, and are you seeing that kind of stuff? I mean, so, how are you vetting people, I guess is the real question. Sure. Well, I, so one of the things that's, um, so great about Colorado is that we've, you know, the, the grassroots, uh, 
the people that the, when you get involved in in the political sphere and you go through one candidate election cycle, mm-hmm. you kind of get a sense of who people are. Right. Yeah, sure. So when you start paying attention and you get involved and so it's it's pretty tight knit and that people have history. Right. There's a record of activity. There's a record of decisions, of votes, mm-hmm. of, of rhetoric mm-hmm. that we can draw upon. And it really comes down to I don't think vetting who people are, um, certainly if there's somebody new on the scene. Yeah. Right. But right. but believing what they've already told you about who they are. Right. Yeah, and and being bold enough to act upon that, you know, in. In Colorado Springs, which is the the largest, uh, most populous county in the state of Colorado, it's also the only county in Colorado that's home to five military commands. and we, you know, we kind of consider it the capital of the military industrial complex yeah. out here because that, all of the representatives are, you know, very, uh, very connected to the lobbyists in that community. And that's why we're doing the event in Sea Springs, which right. we did you guys. So, yeah. Right. And so um, what what we've seen is that this, you know, the last cycle I mentioned, Colorado, Colorado Springs, El Paso County has been the tip of the spear for grassroots really engaging in the precinct project, mm-hmm. um, running for office. Uh, and and really doing all of the things that that you know the conservative influencers out there say we have to do right we have to get local we have to get engaged at a precinct level in the party and outside of the party we need to get people to run for offices all of these things and Colorado Springs El Paso County did that mm-hmm. and they've been battled every step of the way so they have a chairwoman in El Paso County uh, Vicky Tonkins who's right. absolutely amazing um, at the time that she was elected she was the only female black Republican chair in the nation. And she was absolutely attacked by both rhinos and Democrats, right? Because she was standing up for America first. Well, the, the people um, of the El Paso County Republican party expanded her lead and she won her election again. But what we saw in um, after her first win was the chair of the Republican party, Christy Burton Brown, not the chair anymore, Mm -hmm. um, but the chair holding, uh, holding, um uh events with with rhino type groups that like yeah. the power and control in the hands of a small few yeah. and talking about well you know there is a way that you can petition within your county to start a new party and then we as a state oh. central committee we can give you the um you know the the title the mandate the power and the resources that come with being the state party these are all things that they've been trying to accomplish and the people have stood up every step of the way this past time it looked like they were going to get away with moving the vote for chair in El Paso County to another group run by another set of people. And uh, the America First Patriots still won. I read an article about that. The state was trying to come in and take over the local mm -hmm. party elections, essentially. Right. Exactly. And they had their favorites. Right. It was their their lobbyist groups. It's the donor class, the consultant class, the elite cast. They've controlled this for so long. Right. That now that the people and it really is as simple as getting involved. Right. It's it's getting involved in the precinct project, getting to know your elected officials, getting engaged with them. They should know your name. I always say your elected officials should know your name, particularly your specific representatives should know your Mm -hmm. name because that's what their job is, is to represent your interests. That's really all it takes. Right. Joe talks a lot all the time about we don't need violence, but we do need force. And to me, that's what force means. It means us showing up in mass and taking these positions of power back and we're seeing it in Colorado obviously we're we're seeing it start to happen in Georgia as well it's happening all over the country and I'm pretty excited about it so tell us what uh last before we let you go in Colorado I mean we've had Tina Peters we've had uh, you know all the lawsuits we've had really tyrannical decisions from the state government on down where does it stand I mean are people optimistic um obviously you just came in and took over the GOP but what about at the higher levels what are your thoughts um I think it's very similar again, very similar where it's controlled at the top. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. So I do uh, I do a show on Badlands. Um, It's on Mm -hmm. tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern called Mm -hmm. Culture of Change. And and we break down the the change management tactics that corporations use. That's my background. I spent 20 Mm -hmm. years working for the highest levels of corporate America, running large scale change projects. And the, the tactics are very specific. Right. It's 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 kind of rules for radical, but it's it's, you know, um, uh, there, there is a specific playbook that you use to quickly change a culture, to change an organization, to change mm-hmm. an initiative. One of the key 
aspects of that is to intentionally destabilize and yeah. intentionally demoralize. And we're seeing that. So we're seeing people that are like, sure, we've done it. And certainly in Colorado, where we fought every front you can fight, we've done the petitions, we've done the um, the letters, we've shown up by the thousands to, to uh, testify against mm -hmm. um, legislation, right? We've, we've, we've done it all, lawsuits, all of it. And we make no headway when it comes to the, you know, stopping the bills or whatever, mm -hmm. because it's triple communist majority here. It's mm -hmm. totally captured, but we are waking up the people and mm -hmm. the people have been demoralized and destabilized and felt like, well, you're alone. You want traditional conservative values. You want to live in liberty and freedom, but you're a minority and you're alone and go feel isolated. And we're going to silence you and censor you so that you keep feeling isolated. Um, what we're seeing in Colorado is that those tactics are backfiring. So yes, there is a significant portion of the population that's still demoralized, but we're bringing them in and we're waking them up. I personally am very encouraged and very optimistic because they, the, the people that want to control us, I, I always say they, and then clarify when I say they, I'm talking about the global corporate communist regime mm -hmm. that is trying to bring about the great reset to the new world order. That's what we're living in right now. It's not coming. The great reset's not coming. Like we're in the middle of it, right? It's happening. Um, they have never been as exposed as they are right now. There has never been this many people that recognizes the role of globalism, the downstream implications of globalism. And make no mistake, I mean, you look at Brian Kemp, Brad Raffensperger, those guys are globalists. They're doing the bidding of the, the people, the, the lobbyists who fund them, and the people who, in, in, in the case of Brian Kemp, I think somebody's got naked pictures or worse on that guy because he acts like he's being controlled. Well, Ash, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. We'll we'll be in touch. Take care. Thanks so much for having me. All right. So with that, uh, we're going to bring in the the candidate for the uh, Georgia GOP, one of the strong candidates, Josh McCoon, and Bill Quinn's going to join us as well. If I can get him on the screen here. Thanks, guys, for coming on, Josh. Um, obviously, there's a lot of and thanks for joining us. Uh, and, and you're one of the major candidates with a real shot to to win the GOP chairmanship. Uh, in Georgia. So there's obviously a lot of distrust in the party. How do you see that? How do you rectify it? I mean, what, what do you want to do as the chairman of Georgia Grand Ole Party? Well, that's a, that's a big question. Um, I would say that overall, uh, the goal of the Georgia Republican Party in 2024 needs to be to win a federal statewide election. We have not had a lot of success in that area. We did win in the constitutional state offices, the uh, congressional delegation, the general assembly, but obviously we need uh, Georgia's 16 electoral votes if we're gonna elect a Republican president next November. And that's really my sole focus uh, as chairman of the Georgia Republican party is to make sure we're able to put our candidate, whoever that is, in the best possible position to win Georgia. It's very difficult for me to see how the Republican wins without Georgia. Similarly, I think the Democrats have a difficult path to victory without Georgia, looking mm -hmm. at the current state of electoral politics around the country. Bill, jump in here. What, what questions do you have for Josh? <clears throat> well, um, one of the things that, uh, that folks have been talking about is the, you know, the sort of fracture, if you will, between the various groups that all, uh, you know, all purport to go after conservative views um, live underneath the, you know, the RNC's platform and dictates. Um, as you look forward, uh, how do you see your work, uh, were you to become chairman, and bringing those those pieces back together? Um, well, sure. No, I, I think that the the next party chairman has to be able to reach out to lots of different constituencies. So, uh, our elected Republicans. Uh, are part of that. Our grassroots activists are part of that. Um, you're right. Uh, there are a lot of different factions out there. Uh, I feel like someone who came up through the party as a grassroots activist who also spent some time in the legislature as an elected official, um, I'm uniquely positioned to kind of bridge that gap. Um, I'm going to talk to everybody. Uh, I've made it very clear that, um, you know, this is not about, uh, settling old scores or this group's in charge now or that group's out now. Everybody's got to come to the table if we want to win an election. And mm -hmm. to me, that is the, that's the goal of the Georgia Republican Party. Lots of different groups in conservative politics trying to accomplish a lot of different things. But the goal of the Georgia Republican Party is to win elections. And so that's going to be my 
my laser focus as party chairman. Do, let me ask you this, just bluntly. Do you think there's free and fair elections in Georgia at this point? I think that we have much better election integrity uh, we did in 2022 than we did in 2020. I think most people look at the 2020 election, not just in Georgia, but around the country. You had a lot of um, measures thrown out there without a lot of uh, vetting. Uh, mm -hmm. We had never had drop boxes uh, in Georgia prior to the 2020 election. Um, there wasn't much rhyme or reason to where the drop boxes were located. Um, lots of concerns about the security of the drop boxes. Uh, there were a lot of other changes to our election process. Um, Georgia law says to get an absentee ballot, the voter's supposed to initiate that. The voter's supposed to make an application to get the ballot. Um, there were federal funds that came into Georgia, and those were used in part to send out 6.9 million absentee ballot applications. Uh, we know there are issues with voter lists in many of the counties and maintenance of those lists, which is really important. One of the things that I want the Georgia Republican Party to do is to stand behind uh, groups that are working to police those lists and to bring challenges. One of the things that happened in Senate Bill 202 is Georgia citizens now have the ability to come into their board of elections and say, look, I know that my neighbor doesn't live down the street anymore. He moved to North Carolina. Why is he still on the voter list? And get that person removed. So there are a lot of things that the Georgia Republican Party can do from an election integrity standpoint, I think, to reassure a lot of our voters who, frankly, I think, have lost some confidence uh, in, the, uh, in the electoral process in our state. Uh, but I personally feel that our elections process is much better uh, now than it was in 2020. But I think the Georgia Republican Party has to be on the field and extremely aggressive in pursuing election integrity ahead of the 2024 election to make sure that only legal votes are cast and counted in Georgia. What about Eric? Do you think Georgia should be in Eric? You know, I, I think that um, you see a lot of officials around the country who have lost confidence in that organization. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously our secretary of state has chosen to uh, remain in that organization. My primary concern when it comes to uh, participating in Eric is I, as I've said just moments ago, I don't feel like list maintenance uh, is working as well as it should. And I think that as Georgia Republican Party chairman, what I'm going to try to do to address that is to make sure that local party activists have the resources to go through the challenge process to help elections officials clean up these lists and make sure that we don't have the opportunity for somebody who's deceased, somebody who's moved out of state, for that voter record to be manipulated in a way to cast a fraudulent ballot. So that's something we're going to have to be laser focused on. We're going to be lobbying for resources uh, from other organizations around the country to make sure we're able to have uh, a fair election in Georgia where only legal votes are cast and counted. So I, I don't think that Eric is doing the job from a list maintenance standpoint that needs to be done. And that's why I think you see, if you look in DeKalb County, Fulton County, around the state, uh, Republican activists are bringing challenges. Regular, ordinary citizens are bringing challenges because they know that there are issues with these lists that have to be addressed. Yeah. You, you may have seen um, a bit about the um, Fulton County hearings earlier this week, and it, it was um, interesting to watch the proceedings. Um, to cast it the way that an audience member uh, reported it from that day. Um, the uh, the county on or the county election board on one hand is saying, oh no, we've been, you know, doing everything we need to to maintain our list, um, and they went through thousands of challenges that had been uh, brought in previous weeks and months. And then the following part of the meeting was, oh, and by the way, we're announcing a program to better clean our voter rolls. So it was kind of a now we're doing everything right, but we do have a program we're going to implement to fix it. So it, it was very, uh, it was quite interesting. You may, you may be, when we talk about Eric, you may also be aware that some other states have really um, seen the challenges with this. I think it's Wisconsin that has, you know, seven, and they are an Eric state. They have 7 million registered voters and 4 million eligible people. So it's just a, a kind of a dramatic example of, what may not being be being done these days? 
Yeah, I know a lot of states have concerns and all I can say to you, um, I'm obviously not the secretary of state here in Georgia. Uh, mm -hmm. He's made a decision about that. Uh, what we're going to do if I'm the next party chairman is be very focused on trying to provide resources to make sure that we do everything we can to clean up these lists at a local level in the counties where we feel like that just hasn't really been done appropriately. And that's a, that's going to be a key priority of mine. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Josh, I, I'm on the Miami Dade uh, Republican executive committee. I'm, I'm not a resident of Georgia, but there, there's been some incidences down there where a lot of the local organizations don't want to give the lists to people so they can run an effective campaign for committee positions or whatever. I mean, if you become chairman, are, are you going to ensure transparency that needs to be so people in trying to be involved in the party will feel like they're being heard? Yes. Transparency and ethics is very important to me. As a state legislator, I pushed very hard for ethics reform at the Capitol. Um, that's just the way I am. I'm open and transparent. Sometimes people won't like what I have to say, uh, but I'm going to just tell it the way I see it. And in terms of resources, you know, somebody's entitled to it. They're going to get it. Um, I've made it very clear that as party chairman in primaries, I'm not going to play favorites. Mm -hmm. I'm going to promote the heck out of people uh, that come to Georgia to run for president or they're running for other offices. We want to get people excited about Republican candidates for office. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm going to stay out uh, until we have a nominee. And then I'm going to do everything I can to get that person elected. That's the approach I'm going to take. Go ahead, Bill. No, thanks. So there's been there's been a number of bills this session that have um, been focused on by you know by the public and various uh, various groups within the uh, within the public space. One of which is HB 520. This is commonly known. Most people refer to it as the mental health bill. Um, have you have you had a chance to review that? And do you have a feeling about what you're hearing from the public on it? I know that Republican Party activists are extremely concerned about the legislation. Uh, I think folks really want to slow that down and have some more time spent looking at that bill. I definitely don't think uh, if you were to talk to your average party activist, that person wants to see that bill move forward in its current form. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, we're in Georgia, we are getting down to the end of the legislative session. They'll be adjourning uh, in about 10 days. So uh, there's a lot of attention on that bill right now. I think you're going to see uh, a lot of activists uh, under the gold dome uh, making their voices heard on that. But it's unclear to me at this point whether that bill is going to receive a final passage vote or if it'll be held over uh, in the interim because we have a two year cycle uh, that they can study the bill and bring it back in January of next year when they reconvene. Yeah. One, one follow on question to that. Uh, the previous bill that passed last year, 1013, originally had some language which seemed to um, put um, stipulations and standards um, espoused by the World Health Organization um, that, that Georgia would find, find ourselves beholden to. And, you know, my, my experience would suggest that Georgians really like to govern themselves, right? They want to they see that what their wishes, their experience, their families, their children need is what passes here in Georgia. So I know this is, this is a little off the, off the mark, perhaps, but any, any thoughts or explanation that you've heard about how in the heck did we even end up with a bill? No, thankfully, it was taken out. But that would include standards coming from something like the World Health Organization. Seemed unusual, perhaps. Yeah, I don't have any specific uh, knowledge of how the original bill uh, came to be. Uh, as you correctly stated, I think it shows how uh, Republican activists uh, in Georgia influenced the debate under the Gold Dome that the final version of that bill that made it through the process was significantly uh, altered, much different from what, uh, what was originally seen because much like with this 520 you asked about uh, a few minutes ago, uh, a lot of concern expressed and then quite a bit of a legislative response to that concern. But I'm, I'm not familiar with how the original bill got drafted. Yeah, I understand. Did uh, you spent a number of years in the state Senate? Yes. That's correct. Yes, sir. So in terms of senators, House of Representatives and so forth, getting their ideas for bills and then have going through the process, did you sense or do you sense now a, a spirit of cooperation or do you do you sense a spirit of competition 
um, how, what's the feeling? And, and the reason I ask is because that particular bill, 520, passed the House in, in amazing speed. I think it was eight days, eight session days, um, and a vote of 163 to 3, which is, I love to see, you know, partnership, but that struck me as a bit surprising. So I wanted to get your take as to what you're feeling from, as you say, under the gold dome. Yeah, so I think that you see Republican legislators uh, working closely with Republican activists on legislative measures. Uh, Senate Bill uh, 222, which is, uh, I believe, pending in House rules now, actually came about due to a situation in DeKalb County, Georgia, where uh, a third-party organization uh, wanted to give money to the DeKalb County Elections Office uh, to try to, in, at least in my view, influence how they're administering their elections in a way that most of most Republicans would not agree with. That practice had been banned by Senate Bill 202. However, there was a loophole left open that would allow a county to get a grant and then move it over to the elections office. And so uh, really just in the last 30 days, that issue came to light because a lot of it was done without public scrutiny and transparency. Once it came to light, a Republican activist got engaged with it. Uh, a senator got involved, state senator got involved, introduced it, moved it through the Senate very quickly, moved it through the House committee very quickly. And I believe that loophole is going to get closed. And the bill in its current form would require that DeKalb County refund the grant they already received. So there, there are those instances where we're really seeing very good cooperation between Republican Party activists and leadership and their legislators uh, in Atlanta. Josh, I uh, really appreciate you coming on. Is there any way people can get involved in your campaign? Or Sure. So uh, our website's mccoon4chairman.com. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm certainly out there on social media, Josh McCoon, at Josh McCoon on uh, Twitter. Uh, always interested to have this discussion. Uh, we have a great opportunity over the next two years to rally a grassroots army so that we can win the presidential election in Georgia. If we do that, we're going to reelect our conservative Republican majorities in the General Assembly and in our congressional delegation. Um, and most importantly, we're going to send Joe Biden back to Delaware for a well-deserved retirement, which is where we want him to be. Well, I just want to close with this. I know the GOP is pushing uh, unity, which is needed. Uh, but for that to happen, a lot of the grassroots feel like they need to be heard first before there can be unity. So um, I'll leave it with that. And thank you for coming on. Really Thank you for having me. And there's no question we've we've got to bring everybody to the table and everybody needs to be heard. That's what very well said. Take care. Thank you. All right, Bill. So I, I you know, for the Georgia Record audience, we're going to have people on this election cycle. We're going to do a lot of polling. We're going to be very involved in Georgia elections. And we want candidates and, uh, you know, politicians to know they'll get a fair shot on this show. We're going to ask tough questions. And the audience is going to have to do their homework and figure out, you know, essentially who who they want to vote for. Yeah. All right. Should we uh, should we talk about some of the stuff that's close to home? Yeah, let's go for it. So since we since we were just talking about uh, HB 520, let's start there if we can. So um, a lot of movement in the last couple of weeks. Um, the um, I'll, I may this may be a repeat for some folks, but I'd like to recap a little bit of what happened. So um, if you could um, bring up uh, the uh, couple of the slides, we'll start with the, we'll go to the next one. I think we'll start there. So it's remarkable. You would think that with something so serious that has the potential to um, overlap potentially many families across Georgia, many um, members of families, all the work would be done up front in order to make a logical decision on how a bill would be crafted, how it would function. Um, the, the questions about what it would do would be essentially already answered. But in this case, a lot of that seems yet to be done and frighteningly so in some cases. So the very notion, the very definition of serious mental illness um, is, according to the bill, supposed to be created by a committee um, and an organizational structure that will be formed by the bill. And actually that, that and a number of different definitions wouldn't be defined until December of this year. So months after this bill passed. And um, 
to while I'm while trying to avoid sounding picky this this whole notion of making decisions with undefined uh, levers and uh, and things within the bill strikes me a little bit of uh, you know of years past when uh, at that time Pelosi uh, in her role said well you know we've we've got to pass the bill to see what's in it. Well, well, look, I mean, let's not dance around it. The, the, there's a reason they do this and that they don't want the definition to be known for eight months or whatever. And they want to get the, the structure in place and then enforce whatever definition they want to come up with. Uh, yeah. So, that, I, yeah, that's in line with what we just heard from Ash a few minutes ago, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, the very similar legislation is being proposed in many locations, many states. Um, yet there's these unknowns in some cases. And very frankly, why would why would this be tied in Colorado to gun legis legislation and so forth? It seems seems odd, almost like, you know, they perhaps didn't want to put it in in the bill in Georgia. Yeah, but, that's um, true. But, so this this notion of things left as yet undone is a key one. So there's fully a quarter of the bill is about studies, which the bill sponsors claim need to be done in order to uncover information necessary to actually enact the bill and have it function at its proper level later on. Medical professionals, however, that have looked at this, looked at the bill and actually talked to um, some of the folks that are currently considering the bill, say it, it's a bit different. So um, let's, let's, if we can, go to the next page and we'll talk about the issues and some of what um, we're hearing from uh, both the public and also medical uh, professionals that are acting in some cases, directly within the medical, the mental health sphere today. So one of the biggest concerns is the ability for any two people um, to sign two affidavits and essentially confine a family member, you, your spouse, your mom, your dad, your children, your child, with two affidavits in which the affidavits then have the names redacted. They could that that could cause um, anyone in your family to be confined, taken into custody, confined, potentially treated, and there's not much you can do about it, other than according to one of the sponsors of the bill, go, you know, you could go get the affidavits unredacted, but you'd have to go to court, get an attorney, and do all that stuff. In the meantime, your family member is sitting, potentially being treated without your consent. Which means psychotic drugs or whatever. It could. It, so, we don't yeah. know. Again, it's yeah. you know, this is to be decided by the treating parties. We don't know what that would mean in terms of individual treatment, but it could be very concerning, very, very troubling. Um, doctors and, and others that have looked at this said, well, wait a minute. I mean, a, a physician normally is in you know, the uh, decision-making capability, often in concert with the patient themselves prior to confining somebody. Um, this is, you know, rarely done with these affidavits. And a number of them have noted cases where even today, um, these, these two affidavits that today are not redacted, but under this bill would be redacted, so you wouldn't even know who executed them, sometimes are misused. Um, I've heard an example of, you know, uh, a, um, a wife being confined by, you know, a testimony or an affidavit from her her ex-husband and one of his buddies, and it's you know because of some argument going on between the two of the two yeah. uh, spouses. What what if uh, what if a child gets in a uh, argument at school and you know somebody else somebody else in school decides to well we're going to get them back. There's nothing well, there's nothing there, in here to prevent that. There's absolutely no excuse in my opinion for allowing this to go forward, especially after the last three years with the lies of January 6 with the two-tier justice system we've seen with. You know, there's a lot of people who are harmed in the Me Too movement, but there was a lot of fakes and, you know, that went after people to lose their jobs. I mean, with all the stuff we've seen, there's absolutely no reason to give the benefit of the doubt in this process, in my opinion. There's one other there's one other factor, too, and that is, do we trust those that would would purport to govern us to do the right thing for the right reasons? Um, wasn't wasn't very long ago that the DOJ was. Um, calling parents speaking on behalf of their children to a school board, you know, uh, domestic terrorists. Is that logical? Is that right when you're looking out for your child? So um, there's that. And then 
you know, even uh, even what we see now going on with, we'll talk about it a little further in a few minutes, but with uh, with Trump and uh, the uh, DA in New York, are those are these decisions being done for the right reasons in the right way? The um, the next thing uh, that uh, both public and and medical practitioners are calling into question is immunity from liability, all liability. And this immunity would cover practitioners, firms, organizations, associations, and others acting underneath the auspices of the mental health bill. The, um, the issue here from um, medical folks that have looked at this seems to be they already have some level of immunity as long as they're acting in the best interest of the patient. And in some cases are actually beholden to existing laws that, that instruct uh, practitioners to do certain things. The um, it looks like we might have lost lost Todd for the minute. The um, the other uh, point that they often make is, um, and sponsors have talked about is, well, what if a what if a doctor or a nurse or somebody in the uh, mental health field gets themselves in trouble? You know, people are people are human; they make mistakes, and they cite, well, we've got to give the opportunity for a doctor or a nurse to regain or retain their license if they step afoul of something like any other human might do. The, the feedback I'm getting here is that's great. That's not un, you know, unreasonable. But why would you give blanket immunity to all these different organizations and firms from civil and criminal liability? Even civil, you might be able to make an argument for perhaps. Criminal, tough tough jump to get to criminal liability from a mental health bill for the practitioners and their, their firms. Um, the next one's actually growing in notice over the last few days, this notion of monitoring somebody that's um, you know, within the mental health care spectrum, if you will. And monitoring actually um, could mean uh, everything from you know, monitoring their, you know, their, their location via some sort of wrist or ankle bracelet, but more importantly, does it monitor more than that? Um, and for what reason? There, uh, as part of the bill, there would be a large database created from both existing and new data regarding all the different data sources potentially that would be uh, either um, governed or uh, covered or you know, created perhaps by the auspices of this bill. What the heck are they monitoring? Haven't we learned in the last couple of years about Gosh, we've got everybody monitoring us. You know, we have China trying to put apps in, in our phones. We have our phones able to track us as we move foot by foot, you know, throughout the day. What's the purpose of this? And also, why is this such a key? Um, you know, monitoring can be drastically uh, misused. And uh, one of the one of the folks from the medical community said to me, you know, how how would we explain this to people? And are we simply infringing their rights for no real purpose. We can monitor folks today, but um, we may be creating our own worst monster um, with having this such such a thing in this bill. Well, it's very similar, unfortunately, to the Chinese surveillance state, which, you know, the question is, why would these 153 or whatever it was, legislatures and the legislators in the House vote for this? Yeah. So and, um, and so quickly. So, so let me jump forward a little bit. Well, uh, there's a lot to talk about with housing, but let's let's jump to two other things that have monetary meaning to them. So there's no auditing process for this. And last week, uh, I believe it was last week, uh, Governor Kemp uh, essentially moved over $1.4 billion into the budget um, so that this and I believe a couple a couple other associated bills could have funding. That's an awful lot of money. Um, and notably, you know, most of what um, uh, it's asking for, the bill is asking for, most of it we have access to today. Remember I mentioned these studies. Well, one of the studies is purported to be able to um, number, count the number of mental health available beds and their location and their type across the state. Folks familiar with this process say they already have this information. We, we've had it for years. We know exactly where they are. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that. Why would we be just throwing money at this thing um, when we already have much of the information? 
And then lastly, in order to get people into Georgia and into the, the areas that they wish them, um, the bill offers to repay student loans of those that, you know, that uh, join the program in various, uh, in various capacities. That's great, but back to generally the student loan repayment discussion. What do you say to the other people that are also maybe in medical school, but don't may not have a mental health discipline in their plans? Yeah. What do you say to students that are in completely other disciplines yet have to repay their full loans? And what do you say to people that just got through repaying their loans and now they see people that are coming up behind them getting a free ride? Seems seems like difficult conversations to have to me. So, yeah. So lots of lots of uh, work going on on 520. Um, the the bill is. Um, uh, as uh, Mr. Mr. McCoon mentioned, seems to be going through some changes. As of uh, our airtime, I had not seen these changes been made public, but there is talk that uh, they may be visible Monday or Tuesday. Um, I would, uh, and others would highly suggest that the public be given the opportunity to, to fully review the output of, of any next versions and you know, the, most people at this point are saying, you know, there's just so much in here that's a concern. Can't we, you know, table this and have an open, public, transparent discussion about what's needed, when it could be done, what its cost is going to be, and avoid this, you know, run for the roses for reasons, you know. Well, Bill, what, what is the stated reason for this? For the for the bill? Yeah. Why? why I they, mean, what? They, what? They are saying that there is a broad-based lack of, uh, of uh, resources, processes, and, and things that need to be completed for Georgia to be able to provide effective mental health treatment and, uh, you know, a diagnosis. The, the very fact that, uh, you know, Georgia did a report to the, the uh, Department of Justice just two years ago, and actually the report indicated we were doing a pretty darn good job. We'd come a long way and four or five years of implementing changes. So it's, again, it's kind of this weird gap of, of uh, you know, data. One says, hey, you're doing a pretty good job. And then two years later, we find out, gosh, we got to do this. We had to do it fast. You know, we've got this huge problem. Well, um, it seems more like a don't let a good crisis go to waste to install some, you know, really tyrannical policies. Maybe, um, maybe. So that's so, Bill 520. The, uh, as of, uh, again, airtime, several, uh, several groups, are asking people to show up at the uh, Georgia Dome and uh, uh, potentially outside to show their support for essentially tabling this bill. Um, and uh, you know, we, we expect a number of folks to uh, to attend for that. Again, as uh, as uh, our our uh, president said several years ago, peacefully and patriotically, let your let your wishes be known by those in power. And we would we would normally um, say that directly to folks. You know, you your voice needs to be heard by those um, representing you. Let it be heard in in, in uh, phone calls. Let it be heard in emails, and uh, be part of solving this problem before it crops its ugly head again. Yes, for sure. So let let's jump if we can to um, our next topic. We've got a couple today. It's not like there's nothing going on. Um, Let's go to Eric, which you brought up earlier. Right. So just in the last day or so, two more states have uh, disclosed that they plan to leave Eric. This follows a meeting that, uh, that Eric had with their member states, um, with some of the states proposing um, different changes on what they would be allowed to uh, do with data coming from Eric. Right now, there's an NDA in place as part of the membership agreements. States can't do much other than bring the bring the information in and, and um, help their counties supposedly act on it. But again, if we go back to um, what we talked about uh, with Wisconsin, you know, it doesn't seem to be working very well in most people's estimation. Um, Wisconsin is an, is an Eric state. Um, they have nearly twice as many registrations as they have you know, living people that are eligible to be registered. So yeah. clearly something's wrong. So now we're up to at least seven states and another couple have given a head fake to they're probably not going to stick either. 
So that's approximately 20% of the member states have announced that they are leaving or have left um, and, and because they don't, they don't agree with the way Eric's doing business, they don't feel that it's effective and they're, they're reacting to public concern and, and errors that they can see and feel themselves. As we said earlier, Fulton County just this week announced a program to clean up their voter rolls while sim simultaneously they're saying, well, we're confident that our current process are effective. <laughs> Notably, on the same day, Sec Secretary Raffensperger said, boy, we're staying with Eric. It's, it's great. It's working wonderfully for, uh, you know, for Georgia. Mm -hmm. And uh, surprising for us. Yeah, com com uh, claiming that Georgia's voter rolls are the most accurate in the nation. Um, just have to smile and, and uh, choke down a laugh on that one. Um, so most voter roll experts would say, you know, there's clearly concerns around uh, Eric. And um, we need to, states that are still involved need to take a really close look at what is actually being done subsequent to receiving data back from Eric. And is it cleaning their voter rolls or is it um, not? Or is it in some ways maybe exacerbating the problem? Well, I think there's been a study that the that, that states that have Eric have the most bloated voter rolls. That may be that may be very much the case. A couple of weeks ago, um, the other there yeah, seems, I was going to say there seems to be a theme, really across the country. As I look at this from a national level, being involved in multiple states, yep. it's the mental health, it's the you know kind of a pincer movement of putting in place vehicles and processes to like reduce the influence of certain populations, mm -hmm. while at the same time attempting to uh, manipulate the elections, and, and and you just see that in various ways in different states. So go ahead, Bill. I was just going to bring that up. Yeah, to your point, very much feels like how can we control what happens now and what options are to make things happen or not happen later on? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So here's a good question. So Eric, one of the things that Eric claims to be able to do is look cross state and help people clean their roles by seeing, judging when people move from state to state. Well, as all these states are leaving, they lose visibility to those states. Mm -hmm. So how can Eric continue to do its work if it's got now um, essentially 20%, but it looks like they may not be long before they hit 30% of their members leaving or have left? Yeah. Um, and then, then the question is, what do you do to replace it? And those that are, you know, much more, um, have much more experience on this than, uh, than I or we do, are suggesting that before another decision gets made in any of these states, or in, in fact, in states that have not yet made a decision one way or the other, they really need to look at it like a business would. You know, the, if you remember in Georgia, many of the, these decisions were done sort of at, you know, we, we hear an announcement and all of a sudden the decision's made. Is that the right way or should it be done like a corporation would do um, the same type of decision making? You know, defining the objectives, doing uh, defining the standards necessary for any solution, doing their research, doing their decision making criteria, and then try to come up with the best solution um, that can be implemented in the right time frame for the state. It just seems so natural that you would want to look at it that way. And unfortunately, so many of the decisions here in Georgia have been made and, and we hear, you know, one party here or there has made the decision and they're supporting it and implementing it. And boy, it's going to be the best thing we've ever seen. Feels like well, a better way. No. Yeah. I mean, we need to get to more of a whitelist type model instead of, you know, trying to find every bad ballot out there, just have some kind of, uh, you know, positive process in place that it, like, if you don't request a ballot, you don't get one, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, to, to, to just delete all the people who are not acting in, in, uh, you know, ethical manner. Um, what else, Bill? Do you got anything else? Well, let's talk about what may happen this coming Tuesday for mm -hmm. just a few minutes. Mm -hmm. um, notably, nobody nobody really knows how uh, an arrest of a previous president would play out. It's never occurred in U.S. history. So it is notable to watch what uh, we're hearing based on some of the people around the periphery of this. So let's get some of the facts listed out. One is um, New York District Attorney Alvin Bragg is the one driving this. Um, and Mr. Bragg appears to have received in the past large donations from another notable figure, George Soros, in order to mm -hmm. fund in part his campaign and gain his position. So 
does that really surprise anybody? Probably not. Um, in addition, what we're hearing is many of the people in the DA's office want no part of this lawsuit. I think I've heard 60%. Because it's going to end careers. Oh, so, absolutely. And it's yeah. going to end credibility for people as well. Yeah. We talked earlier about this notion of realistic um, decision-making, the rule of, of real law in the U.S. And people argue, you know, these things are certain things are unconstitutional and so forth. The Constitution is, at, at the end of the day, the thing that governs this country. Mm -hmm. Law is actually theoretically not as powerful, but uh, directly it, it cannot contravene the precepts of the Constitution. However, in this case, we seem to be doing things that are completely outside um, the previous notion of rule of law. Um, different standards for different people. Look at look at what the Biden the Biden family has uh, has faced and what's been uncovered about you know pay payback from uh, outside countries <laughs> to various members of the family. Um, nothing's been done about it. We're talking about you know millions upon millions of dollars, and yet this thing is about you know uh, a NDA which occurs all the time between parties. Yeah. Right, sure. And and what was it? Two hundred fifty thousand dollars. It was a settlement. Uh, yeah, right. Settlement of a of a dispute. So I I believe at the end of the day this is going to come down to and and I believe I hope and believe that more people will wake up to what's going on because of this, because it it points out in in absolute contrast how improperly used the law can be structured or laws can be structured to give undue power to one group, take power away from another group and be used to prosecute folks. Persecute, yeah. Perse persecute yeah. or, or in this case, prosecute. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, those who should never be in this position. That's just banana republic politics. And there's a report out from PJ Media this morning that maybe they won't do this, but um, I think the damage has been done. And it's obvious we have a two-tiered justice system. I mean, this is the same week that Congress released findings that Joe Biden's family took a million dollars from the Chinese Communist Party a, a few years back. So, and he said on tape yesterday, I think, oh, that's not true. Of course it's true. They have all the documents. So that glaring fact, treason versus settling a, a, a dispute um, with an NDA. I mean, who are they going after? I was lucky enough to uh, last night hear uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene speak at a local event. And um, it's very clear that what we've seen so far, um, both as a result and as an adjunct to the uh, House Oversight Committee's work, um, there's a lot yet to come. Um, mm -hmm. the, the videos that have come out through Tucker sound like they have a, a ton of support from the committee. Um, the, uh, the nature of those videos is much deeper. Um, many, many, many more hours than we're originally, you know, uh, mm -hmm. known about. And I bet we're going to see some some increased and uh, and fruitful work by um, the oversight committee as we go forward. And uh, so more coming. I think we need to we we will be uh, eyes on through uh, certainly through Tuesday and what comes afterwards to help people understand it and get. The true, the true story, because I have a funny feeling maybe is going to be spinning it again in some strange way. Well, the Georgia record, uh, for our audience's sake, we've put a lot of resources into redesigning the site. We built the staff up. It, was, it is the only paper uh, in Georgia where you can go get the truth as to what's happening in the state. I'm very confident saying that. And it's only going to get better. So please uh, go to georgiarecord.com, sign up for the newsletter. Put it in your daily, uh, you know, scan for the news. But even bigger than that, I've been talking about national themes uh, with mental health, with gun control, and um, this is going on not even just nationally but globally. So a way you can stay up on everything is go to cdm.press and get our actually on any of the sites and sign up for our no ad subscription, which will give you access to now I think twelve of our websites around the world which are tip of the spear news. You know, you were talking about the Biden crime family. We released all that in 2019. The the the, the actual wire transfers from Smith Barney, from Burisma to Smith Barney for Hunter Biden, et cetera. So we, if you want the news early, uh, go to cdm.press, the Georgia record, any of our papers, and you're going to get it. Uh, but help us. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people don't like pop-up ads on their phones. 
it's kind of annoying, but we have to make money. We have to survive. I mean, you know, we're not a charity. So um, if you don't like that, pay us a few bucks a month, sign up for our no ad subscription and get access to all our platforms. Bill, do you have anything else? That's about it for now. Stay tuned. I suspect we're going to have um, a lot to talk about in the coming few days, both uh, local to Georgia yeah, and uh, potentially national with the rest of this mischief going on. And we've started doing legislative updates on this show during the week, um, you know, as opposed to just our Sunday two o'clock show. But we're going to do whenever we need to get on camera and tell you what's happening. We're going to do that as the legislative legislative calendar closes up this cycle. Thank you, Bill, for all your hard work behind the scenes. You too, Todd. We will see you guys uh, next Sunday, if not before. Take care.